You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. This week on Yap, we're chatting with Gabor George Burt, the global authority on reimagining boundaries and the author of the book Slingshot, Reimagine Your Boundaries, Reimagine Your Life. Gabor is a top 13 disruptive visionary and has been featured in publications including Harvard Business Review, Forbes Entrepreneur Magazine, amongst others. He is one of the creators behind the Blue Ocean Strategy, which is considered the most influential leadership concept of the new millennium. Blue Ocean Strategy is a business tactic for creating and capturing uncontested market space, thereby making competition irrelevant. Gabber contributed case study material to the worldwide best-selling book, The Blue Ocean Strategy, and originated its most popular blog. Gabber is also actively involved in shaping strategy for a diverse group of international clients, ranging from top multinationals and governments to startups and NGOs. It goes without saying that Gabor is truly an expert when it comes to market domination, and I'm thrilled to share this conversation with you guys. In this episode, Gabor and I provide an in-depth overview of Blue Ocean Strategy to get a foundation of his work. We'll then learn how to reimagine your market boundaries with the five prongs of the Slingshot Strategy, and we'll go deep on how to infatuate your target audience and keep them engaged. Lastly, we'll discover why it's important to shape your offering for its broadest relevance and how you can take your organization from a red ocean crowded with competition to a blue ocean of uncontested market space. If you're wanting to dominate your market niche to the point that your competition becomes irrelevant and your customers are 100% infatuated with your brand, you've got to hear what Gabor has to say in this conversation. Let's jump right in. Hey, Gabor, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. Thank you, Hala. Wonderful to be with you. I'm super excited for this topic. I think my listeners are going to really enjoy it. You're a pioneer in business creativity and innovation, and I can't wait to get into the Blue Ocean Strategy and the Slingshot Strategy, which is all about harnessing your creativity in a more systematic way. But first, I want to get to know you better and understand your childhood and how you grew up and how that instilled curiosity in you later in life as an adult. So you were born in Budapest, Hungary. You moved to the U.S. when you were just a child. You were thrown into an entirely new environment without speaking a word of English. So how did this cultural immersion impact who you are today? Yeah, thank you for that question. Uh, first of all, I'd like to point out that uh, for a very brief moment in time, I was once the youngest person on earth. Okay, and uh, I like uh, you to reflect on that because it's true for you and uh, of course everyone listening in, but it's it's kind of a something that we never really think about, but it's it's a powerful thing to to actually keep within us, right? Because everything that I talk about and, and all, 
all, all the, the Slingshot platform is at its core is reconnecting with our childhood essence and sense of curiosity and wonder and creativity. But, but yeah, as, as you said, uh, I was born in Budapest and uh, you were very generous when you said that I moved at a young age because really I had no choice, right? I was taken. So I was plucked out of the environment that I knew and thought was, you know, my world and taken to a completely different one. Yeah, I didn't speak a word of English completely different uh, uh, space. And, and that had a profound uh, impact on me, as you can imagine, as a child. Uh, it gave me this sense of uh, detached curiosity, a sense of questioning things. You know, why does this work here differently than somewhere else where I, where I came from? And, and also uh, set in motion this uh, lifelong passion to travel and to experience new things. So, so yeah, that's, uh, that's where I think you know, everything that I do today uh, started from. So something that's funny is that a lot of the guests that come on my show, they're very, very great entrepreneurs, business strategists, and a lot of them studied psychology in college, which is super interesting because most people who go through that path become a psychiatrist or something along those lines. So what did psychology teach you about business? Well, it's a, a also a, a very um, a rich observation that you're making. You know, that a lot of your guests uh, have that commonality um, I think uh, for me, it was always this notion about just a deep interest on what really motivates people, right? Why do people behave and do things and think things that they do? And that really was the origin of that, even without thinking about business. But then when I got into my later studies and got into the field of economics and business, I thought it was the most natural connection because ultimately every single business, every single transaction is about people. It's about relationships. So understanding what motivates people to buy, not to buy, to be attached to, to your brand is, is really essential. And it's really at the heart of, I think, any, any successful business. Yeah, 100%. I always wish that I studied psychology for that exact same reason. It's super interesting. So you were one of the first core experts behind a concept called Blue Ocean Strategy. Now, before I even met you, I've heard of this. I've heard of Blue Oceans. I've heard of Red Oceans. You know, I got my MBA. It's something that is talked about in these kind of systems. So let us know what Blue Ocean Strategy is exactly at a high level. Yeah, sure. Uh, so Blue Ocean Strategy is a concept that uh, became uh, popular about uh, almost 20 years ago now, first through a series of articles in the Harvard Business Review and then a book by the same name, Blue Ocean Strategy. And as the wonderful imagery suggests, it's about strategy that allows you to create your own market space, where you separate yourself from the competition in such a, a profound way that they become irrelevant, that you have a space to yourself and a mass of customers who are attracted to your value proposition. And in contrast, Red Oceans is where everybody else is, where everybody accepts the same market conditions, the same market boundaries, and they're trying to outcompete one another over market share. And it's bloody and it's highly cutthroat and competitive. So that's the basic essence of uh, Blue Ocean Strategy. Cool. So I know that one of the core premises of Blue Ocean Strategy is called value innovation. And so that states that successful companies, they both use differentiation and lower cost in order to create new demand and create Blue Ocean market space. So this goes against traditional management views because previously people used to say you either need to be highly differentiated or be a low cost provider, but not both. So can you explain that to us? 
Yeah, and that is that 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 kind of uh, intersection of those two uh, philosophies or those two actions is, as you say, it's uh, it's not immediately obvious. In fact, it's counterintuitive, and that's part of the power of Blue Ocean strategy. So, a really good example, perhaps, is Nintendo's Wii. So, Nintendo's Wii. Before uh, the Wii, the uh, gaming industry was uh, by and large limited to 5% of the population, antisocial teenage boys, right? And everybody competed within that space. And that was the Red Ocean until Nintendo thought about, well, wait a minute, there's 95% of the population that never plays games. Why? And that why led to them then say, well, it's because they don't want to sit passively in front of a screen. So what could we do to attract them? The Wii motion sensor. And that was the combination of two separate, traditionally separate uh, entertainment forms, passive and active entertainment. And once they fused those together, then they broke barriers and now they became relevant to 95% of the population. That's the blue ocean. And to answer your question, to see that duality, so they raised the value proposition and that uh, is, is, uh, is supported by the fact that for years after the introduction of the, of the, of the Wii, the price on uh, online and on Amazon was actually higher than uh, if you could buy it new. There was so much extra demand. And it was lowering the, the actual cost because the Wii used off-the-shelf components. So they didn't use state-of-the-art technology, which their competitors, Sony and Microsoft, did at the time. They went the other way. They went very simple and they made money on every one of their modules. So what they got right is the value part, that's the value innovation, and they understood what they could let go, what they could eliminate from cost, which was competing on technology. So that's the idea. Mm, that's super interesting. Let's talk about the slingshot strategy. Your slingshot framework has five steps or five prongs, and I'd love for you to tell us more about that and how entrepreneurs can use this to eventually get to blue ocean strategy. Yeah, that's a great question. And so let me uh, also add on that uh, as a way of uh, making the connection between the two clear. So as I said, blue ocean strategy is a wonderful, wonderful uh, concept, and uh, it has been extremely well received. So it has been translated into over 4 million copies uh, in, in terms of books and, and, and over 50 languages, including Mongolian and Icelandic. So it's, it's, it's really uh, has, uh, has conquered the world. But in my over 10 years of blue oceanography uh, around the world, helping organizations understand and apply the concept, what I discovered was that everybody loved the idea of blue ocean but it was very difficult for most organizations to actually put it in practice. So there was a disconnect between uh, aspiration and implementation. And one of the key things was that everybody thought that Blue Ocean was about having to do something completely new, that you have to abandon what you've done and what you're good at. And so in Slingshot, what I talk about is three levels of blue waters. First is Blue Lake, which is the, the, the most accessible, and that's refreshing and optimizing what you're already doing. The second is blue sea, which is expanding what you're doing. And the third is blue ocean, which is creating something new. And when you frame it this way, then you can all of a sudden pursue innovation from very small incremental 
all the way to transformational. You don't have to sacrifice anything. And you can start out with a blue lake, which opens up the floodgates to much bigger waters, to a blue sea and blue ocean as water naturally flows into bigger bodies. So that's one of the key premises. And in terms of the five steps, the first thing I talk about is something I call a customer infatuation, right? And to me, that word infatuation is the perfect way to describe the customer relationship that you want to have. Because it, it's the only word that has a strong emotional component, but also a time component, that it's fleeting, that it's temporary. So understanding that anything you do for your customers has a cycle, that they will react to it emotionally and, and really be excited by it at the beginning. But as it transitions and becomes a new normal, their excitement level uh, becomes less and less, is fundamental to understanding that you have now the golden opportunity to continuously renew your offering. So that's why I talk about. And then the second is to expand what you do and think of it as lifestyle or work style enrichment. So you don't just want to do something that, that is a functional advantage to your customer. You want to put it in a larger context. How does it benefit the way they live or they, or they work? The third is this idea of defying conventional wisdom so that you want to liberate, and this is where creativity comes in, your ability to always ask the what-if questions. The, the, the fourth one is uh, uh, this idea of the accordion chart, which is the tool that I use to stretch the definition of what you do, because the broader that you can define what you do, the more possibilities you have to deliver on that to your customers. So for example, Starbucks, uh, the CEO of Starbucks didn't define their business as uh, coffee, but, uh, but as human connectivity, right? And that's a much richer business definition. And the more that you can move into that broader space and show how you, how you connect to these core human values and, and desires, the, the stronger your, your company's relationship and strategic possibilities will be. And then the last final step is creating blue oceans, right? So now you have the engine to continuously make blue ocean strategy practical. And so the last step is actually now putting that into strategy and implementing it. So those are the five steps. Hey, Young and Profiters, as you guys know, we've got some amazing sponsors of the show. And if you guys want to get all the deals of the month directly to your phone, just text DEALS, D-E-A-L-S, to 28046, and we'll text you all the deals directly to your phone. Young and Profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn, because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They are in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. 
In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get a $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password. And then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. I love this. Honestly, I feel like this is so helpful for any entrepreneur. So I want to stick on the first step, infatuation integration. And so one of the things is that you mentioned is that consumers are insatiable. So they often need to be reconnected with or reinfatuated with so that you can keep continuing to be successful as a business. So talk to us about that. The fact that you need to keep kind of re-engaging your customers and keeping them infatuated. Yeah. And and, and this is where this idea of psychology comes in, right? So uh, I'm so glad you asked about that up front because this is ancient wisdom. So the first noble truth of Buddhism says that satisfaction is not real or is that it's fleeting. There's no such thing, right? Recently, an Israeli psychologist came up with the concept of arrival fallacy, meaning that we always think that just the next thing that we want, once we achieve that, once we obtain that, then we'll be happy. But once we get there, we realize, no, now there's a next thing that we want, right? And so if that is true, and uh, I can show that uh, just by simply asking you or or, or challenging uh, our listeners, or anyone tuning in to think about what is your favorite thing right now? Something that you purchased, right? It could be an object or it could be an experience, a service that you paid for. What is your favorite thing? And is it perfect just the way it is? Or can you think very quickly of things that would make it even better, even more special, more customized, more fun, more comfortable for you? 
And uh, and most of the time, I don't. Do you have your answer? Because I would. Sure. Um, my favorite thing that I purchased so far on it was is a trampoline, a personal trampoline that I have to work out on. <laughs> All right. How soon? How how long ago did you purchase that? How, how uh, this, that? Like let's say six months ago. All right. Is it perfect as it is? Is there nothing that you would change on it at this time? It's perfect. It's pretty perfect. Ah, you see, there was a, there's a shadow of a doubt. You said pretty perfect. Is it absolutely completely perfect? Is there nothing you would change? That's my question. Maybe I would make it a little bigger. Ah, there it is. So you see, uh, what I talk about is once you buy something that really resonates with you, like your trampoline, then for a period of time, you will be completely enchanted by it. You will be blind to its faults and just love everything about it. And that's what I call the infatuation interval, right? But as you start to use it and it becomes the standard, it becomes the normal, your excitement level becomes less and less. And that's when you start to notice what would you want it to be different about it, right? How could it be even better for you? And you just started to say something, but what if it was a little bit bigger, right? And as you transition in that cycle into what I call the entitlement period, your feeling becomes that this is, you know, pretty good. This is, the, this is what I already have, but this is what I wish I had, right? And some companies are really masters at actually creating that, and, uh, that pull to tell you that you're now ready to get our newest product. Great example is Apple, right? Uh, these are expensive, our smartphones are expensive products, but every eight, 10 months, they come out with a new version and we feel that that is the one we need to have. And we start disconnecting from our old one. So that's the whole idea of infatuation intervals. And the whole, whole notion of infatuation is that understanding the fact that satisfaction is not an obtainable concept. There's no such thing as a permanently and completely satisfied customer. And that's a good thing, right? Because if there was, whoever got there first would have complete market share, game over. No, what we have is a delighted and even better an infatuated customer who reacts really strongly and positively to what we do for them because it resonates, but understand that that will only last a fleeting cycle. And then they're ready to receive our next innovation so that we are in a continuous cycle of refreshing and innovating that relationship. And that's where creativity comes in as our fuel. Okay. So I want to really dig deep on this because I think this is super interesting. So entitlement period, like you said, that's when consumers, they start to take notice. They start to provide feedback about things that the things that bother them about the product. How can we actually use this customer feedback to fuel innovation? Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because one of the key principles, of course, of, of the Slingshot framework is precisely this, that what you want to do is continuously turn customer pain points and transform them into points of infatuation, right? So it's not just removing something that bothers or frustrates our customer, that's a pain point, but to transform it into a point of delight and infatuation. It's incredibly powerful. So uh, my example from before about the we, right? The, the major pain point of 95% of the population was that they didn't want to sit passively in front of a screen. Now, what did Nintendo's Wii do? It added and combined that experience with simulating sports, right? 
And that created delight, joy, and infatuation, right? People couldn't get enough. And every segment of the population, from nursing homes to college campuses to cruise ships, were playing Nintendo Wii games, right? And so it's all about, your question is about how to use customer feedback. Well, your customer's journey with you is the ultimate playing field that you should always be focused on to improve your business and to make sure that it continues to be relevant. So put yourself in the position of your customer, continuously monitor them. And once you identify a pain point, or once you start to hear chatter, like you mentioned, like let's say that uh, you uh, mentioned your wish that your trampoline was a little bit bigger on social media. Well, if I am the trampoline manufacturer, what I want to do is monitor social media chatter about my products. And if I, if I pick that up and you're one of the first adapters, then I want to incorporate that into my next innovation, right? So the, the idea is that uh, you always want to monitor your customers because that is the ultimate uh, goal and mission of your business, right? Is to continuously stay relevant. And in fact, I say indispensable to your customers. And uh, Jeff Bezos famously said when asked, well, what business is Amazon in? He said, well, what we do is that we continuously seek out what do our customers need and want, right? And whatever that is, we're going to get good at providing that. What an amazing answer. It's not what are our capabilities and how can we best use them? No, what we want to know is what do our customers, our target audience, what do they want? What do they need? And whatever that is, we will get good at, at, at providing that. And that's really what, what this is all about, is that you can always look at your customers and create offerings that they're excited about. And that creates the cycles of infatuation. And what you're not saying is that we're not creating the perfect product, right? There's no such thing as the perfect product. And in Slingshot, you explore the idea of the dichotomy of perfection and personalization. So talk to us about the relationship of perfection and personalization in regards to innovation. Yeah, that's another great question. Uh, so so perfection is, uh, we hinted at this earlier, is a fallacy, right? It, it doesn't exist. And again, this is something that has ancient roots and cultures. So the Japanese art form of, of wabi-sabi is all about continuous state of, of imperfection. And so, and I also love the concept that life is a journey and not a destination, right? So that we're always, always in motion. We're always moving. And that's, that's the fun part. And, and that's, and that's true uh, in, in, in business too, right? So, so perfection is, not something that's obtainable, and it and it's a dangerous fallacy for any company to think that that it is, because it's much more exciting to understand the fact that uh, there is no perfectly satisfied customer, and that gives us the license to continuously uh, explore and develop that relationship and give them new things and new experiences. Now, customization, on the other hand, is really uh, a fascinating concept because it really creates that deep relationship where in essence, companies can outsource part of their work, right? To say, you know, you design it for yourself. And this has been really well used by companies like Nike and Lego. 
where where they allow their customers to basically create their own products. It's, it's a wonderful concept. And it was also something that was key with IKEA, which started the whole do-it-yourself furniture industry, right? What a brilliant concept in the 1950s. So a long time ago, they said, well, what is the one of the big costs in, in, the, in our industry? Well, it's assembling furniture and then having to store and ship them in, in much larger uh, containers. And I said, well, what if we eliminated that? And that's again, value innovation, right? We're eliminating something, in this case, giving people furniture that's completely pre-assembled, but we packaged it differently. We say to our shoppers and our and consumers that we're empowering you to put it together yourself, do it yourself. You're, you're building your own uh, uh, house or putting together your perfect apartment. And it's the same, uh, it's the same idea of customization now becomes part of the, the deeper relationship as well as a way to value innovate. Mm-hmm. And I think it also kind of relates to the customer feedback because as you implement that feedback, you're personalizing that product for your consumers. No doubt. And that, that's right. So the perception from a customer's viewpoint is exactly that, that, wow, this company is not looking at me as one in millions, but I am special, right? I am actually in a relationship with this company. I can design whatever I want and do exactly as I want on the uh, on this product uh, or my or a service. Uh, so it's very powerful. You're right. It's, it's, it's a really good lever for that. Okay, so let's move on to prong number two. So like we discussed, we need to keep consumers infatuated. And in order to do that, you need to remain continuously relevant to them. So you call this lifestyle enrichment, and it's all about staying relevant. So how can business owners scan the horizon and shift course to stay relevant? What are the things they can do? Well, a part of the uh, the idea of relevancy is, is, and that's a good segue, is what we already started talking about, is you have to always monitor your customers. Better yet, continuously put yourself in their position. So be a customer of your own business. And that's one of the first questions that I ask with organizations that I work with. And I'm amazed how often leadership teams are so disconnected from their businesses that they're not customers of what they sell, right? And how could you then possibly understand how to lead this organization? So that is one of the ways that, and it's the best ways, the most fundamental ways that you can stay relevant. The other is to understand and look ahead to where the market and the world uh, and technology, where everything is heading, right? So one of the things I ask, I have a six question test. And I always challenge uh, my audiences to say that I bet you, you won't get more than two out of the six questions correct, okay? And from the perspective of really forward thinking, future shaping, strategic thinking. And invariably I win, and they're very basic questions. And one of them is, who are your most important competitors, right? And most people will think about it and, and think and answer with their direct competitors. And what I say the correct answer is, is whatever is most in the hearts and the minds of your target audience, right? What are they thinking about? What are they obsessed with? Because that's where you want to play. So right now, in the wake of COVID, a lot of people, what they're obsessed with is work-life balance, safety, security, lifelong learning, 
you know, a new world order, all these kind of things. And so it's a perfect time to ask that question. And in order to stay relevant, you want to provide that answer. You want to provide the solution to whatever they're most obsessed about. Because if you can do that and you come to mind when they're thinking, well, you know, lifelong learning, um, work-life balance, uh, safety and, and uh, community harmony, all these things, and you come to their mind, that's a relationship. And then you're not only just relevant, but again, beyond that, you become indispensable to them, right? They can't live without you. And that's really where you want to be, is that indispensability. We'll be right back after a quick break from our sponsors. Young and profiters, Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has things like skills assessments, where when we have specific roles, we can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at YAP. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm going to like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting. And support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Young and profiters, as you may know, I launched my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass a little bit over a year ago. It was my first course. And so far, I've generated well over $500,000. And the best part is, I didn't have to figure out how to set up my mastermind subscriptions, how to do abandoned cart targeting, and all of that tech geeky stuff. I just left that all to Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And if you're in that, I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify Magic is your AI superpowered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell anything, anywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to the other options out there. It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., including huge global brands like Allbirds, 
and Thrive Cosmetics. It took me a day to set up my Shopify store. I set up chat, took two minutes, and I was done. One month from thinking of the idea to implementation, a year later, I've made half a million dollars on the idea. That's what it takes in 2024, just a good idea. And then utilizing a platform like Shopify that can help you make it a reality. There is no excuse these days. If you've got a good business idea and you think you'll be a good entrepreneur, you don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to be super techie. And you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting. So I'd love to understand uh, what kids and their imagination can teach us about lifestyle enrichment. I had several occasions where I was with leadership teams of, uh, of very successful companies. And I give them a creativity exercise. One that I do is called the Imagination Kits Challenge. And it's about uh, a random collection of everyday objects. And the challenge is to create the most fun game that you can out of just these objects. And invariably, and these could be the most serious, uh, older, you know, very successful executives, invariably, within seconds, everybody reverts to childhood playing and sense of discovery. It's a beautiful thing. But uh, on several occasions, I invited children to be the judges, right? And so they become the ones that grade and rank the solutions that the uh, these very highly successful adults have come up with. So it's a complete role reversal. And what kids do is they have this wonderful disarming way of just cutting to the chase and asking the most disarming questions that you cannot hide behind, you know, in industry expertise or jargon. I don't understand why this is a good good product. I don't understand why this would be fun, right? Or or how would this really work? Any of these questions. And and it's that sort of insight that if we can reconnect with that, and that's why I always encourage people who have children to interact with their children and, and, and learn from them, play with them, and have them ask questions about what you're doing as an adult. Then you have this, uh, this power of simplification and understanding things that we as adults often o- overcomplicate. And, that, and that's the power of that, of that uh, childhood sense of creativity and, uh, and uh, curiosity. I think this is a great segue to talk about the third prong, which is defying conventional wisdom. So what do you think are the most important things we need to know about that one? Well, with that is, is really this notion that uh, uh, we have this ability to always ask the what if questions. And, and by not doing that, by just simply accepting things as they are, we're doing ourselves a disservice because we're not utilizing this great resource and and the quality and ability that we have. And uh, we are not going to be able to fully take advantage of situations that life presents us, right? Because that ability is ours for the taking. So the idea of uh, defying conventional wisdom is really that reminder that why not take advantage of it. And there's a wonderful quote, one of my all-time favorites by Muhammad Ali, who had this, uh, this fascination with the word uh, impossible. And he said that uh, impossible 
is just a big word thrown around by little people who'd rather live in, the, in a world that they have been given than to explore the power they have to change it. Impossible is not a fact, it's an opinion, it's a dare, right? And that's exactly the point, is that let's all take that dare. We have that choice. We either accept everything as they are and just say, I don't want to change anything, or to really harness the power we all have to make a difference, to be part of the future shapers, right? And that's the whole idea. Something really fun that I found in your book was a test that you call the opossum test. Can you talk to us about how an opossum represents the ideal business and how businesses can become more like possums or opossums? <laughs> yeah, sure. And, and, and that is also one of the other six questions. I just mentioned my six-question test, which is uh, what animal would you pick to be the perfect symbol of your business, right? So what is that? what is an animal that you think uh, in your mind gives an image of the perfect qualities a business should possess. And a lot of people gravitate towards strong animals like a lion or exactly, or, or, a, uh, or an eagle, right? Why? Because immediately your, your knee-jerk response is that business is war and therefore you want to be at the top of the food chain. It's the survival of the fittest. And to me, that's the fallacy. That's the trap. Because business is not war. Business is about adaptability. It's about uh, future shaping, developing relationships that are indispensable. And so to me, one of my favorite animals as a response to that is the opossum. Why? Because for most animals in the animal kingdom, when they're faced with danger, they have two types of responses, fight or flight, right? So either they're capable to defend themselves or they're fast enough to run away. But the opossum doesn't accept the, that wisdom. So it defines conventional wisdom by having a very unconventional strategy, which is taking a nap, right? Pretending that it is not alive. And when the, the danger passes because the predator has no interest in eating a seemingly dead uh, carcass, the opossum gets up and goes along its way. So, so the point is, is that it's defying conventional wisdom. I argue that uh, in contrast to other animals who spend most of their time getting ready and being prepared to fight or flight, it doesn't have to invest anything along those lines. It can live a very happy, content life. But then I also argue that this defense is only as good as other animals don't start to mimic it. Because if every prey starts to mysteriously drop dead in front of a predator, pretty soon they would start getting pretty suspicious, right? So you need to continuously innovate. And that's the point I make to companies that, are you an opossum? So do you have an unconventional strategy that allows you to actually do more with less? And are you continuously innovating so that you're not banking on a past innovation for your future success? That's the idea. I love that little story. So let's talk about the accordion chart. This is prong number four. It lets you zoom in and out of your offerings utility definition. So I thought this was super interesting because you basically are saying you need to come up with the broadest definition possible for utility for your offerings. So why is that super important to have a broad definition as opposed to a narrow or niche definition of your utility of your product? Yeah. And, and let me ask you, Hala, how, how do you define your business? So what, what, what business are you? And I'm sitting next to you. Well, I have many businesses. Okay. But, All right. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So, so then 
let, answer it this way. Be, keep that in mind. Let's say that I'm sitting next to you at a dinner party, right? And I'm really interested uh, to talk with you. I don't know you at all. So I turn to you and I say, so what do you do? What business are you in? And so what would you be? What would you answer me? What would be your immediate I'd say, answer to that? I'd say, Hi, I'm Hala. I'm the uh, host of a number one podcast called Young and Profiting. I also have a social media and podcast agency, and I just launched a podcast network. Wow, that's a beautiful answer. Now, if I ask you to limit that to four words, what would those four words be? I am the podcast princess. <laughs> that is brilliant. I love that. And now, <laughs> and now here is why, and here's the connection. So the accordion chart, and that's why I named it that, because, yeah, it's like an accordion. You can stretch the definition of your business, but it's not a one-way stretch. You can also contrast it, right? So that, that yeah, you want to define your business from most narrow to the most broad space possible, but then decide where's the ultimate between the two extremes that you need to play. I already mentioned uh, Starbucks, that it's not in the coffee business. It's in the business of human connectivity. Uh, Nintendo, we talked about, it's a gaming company. They define their business as, we make people smile, four words, right? IKEA, furniture company, defines its business as creating better everyday life, four words. And I'll give you a B2B example. Uh, Sabic, which is a very large Middle Eastern uh, chemical company, they define their business as chemistry that matters, just three words, right? And so here's the, the reason why this is absolutely critical. If you define your business very narrowly, and most companies do, that I am in the business of uh, providing a service or a product, then your entire focus and strategy and all your future possibilities are limited to that space. And that's usually a red ocean. When you open that up and you ask the question, ultimately, what value do I bring to my target audience, right? To make myself relevant and indispensable. Who doesn't want to smile, right? Who doesn't want human connectivity, right? Who doesn't want a princess talking to them through a podcast, right? That's where you get really close and, and into this ongoing relationship with your target audience. It's an incredibly powerful switch. And I can tell you, it's the most difficult of all the slingshot framework components. It's the most mind opening and, and challenging of everything that I do with, uh, you know, with, with my uh, partner companies because people are just not used to thinking this way. But when they do, it opens up all kinds of uh, incredible possibilities. Yeah, I'm going to do an offsite with my executive students. And I think we're going to use this framework and go through this accordion chart and really try to think of our Blue Ocean strategy as a company. So I'm super excited for that. Yeah, and, and uh, absolutely. And, and uh, let me tell you uh, what my perfect answer is, right? And it has to do with, uh, it's based on a quote by a former army psychologist called Dave Grossman, who said that the human equation is to multiply joy and divide pain. Joy shared is joy multiplied. Pain shared is pain divided, right? It's a beautiful statement. But based on that, what I say is that, and I challenge every company, every organization, and take this to your offsite, to say that ultimately, you should think of yourself as being in the business of multiplying joy and dividing pain for your target audience, four words. Multiply joy, divide pain, because that's what people ultimately want in life. And if you can make them think that that's what you do for them, 
that's a relationship for life. And if you can't, if you can't justify that you're multiplying their joy, minimizing their pain, and you're sharing in that journey, like for your podcast, it's a perfect way to, to actually deliver on this, then you're going to have difficulty staying relevant and, and, and even more to be in, indispensable. So there's my, my perfect answer. That's beautiful. I love that. So what kind of questions are we going to ask ourselves as we go through this accordion chart process? Like what are the questions and things that you ask people to do in that book? What can they expect? Yeah. And, and so uh, let me uh, also say that because I think this, this is a very fair question for anybody to ask is I, I talk a big game. Am I also a player? Right. Do I do I practice what I preach? And to me, that has always been super important. So everything that I do is as you said, it started from my childhood, so I not only firmly believe everything, but I practice it. So with my book, Slingshot, how did I reimagine uh, a business book or a leadership book? Well, first of all, it's all illustrated by children. Secondly, it has original music, so that every single chapter has its own, I think, really wonderful uh, music done by a very talented European uh, electro band. Right, So you can immerse yourself in the experience. You can listen as you read. And thirdly, I purposely made the book only privately available. So I was not obsessed with uh, book sales or being on the top list, but rather to use my book as a uh, exclusive resource for the audiences that I work with. And I'll make the, the book available to, to your audiences. Uh, uh, happy to do that. But so the questions uh, that I'm asking and people will ask themselves are, kind of based on what we already uh, kind of revealed, like in what way can you prove that you were once a child? What evidence do you have that you were once a child? That's one question that, that, that I pose. In what way do you stretch the definition of your business well beyond the industry that you actually play in? How do you defy conventional wisdom or what is your favorite example of defying conventional wisdom uh, from business or, or from your private life? Or are you a customer of your own business, right? All these things are, and the whole book is written in a way that it's very playful and very interactive, as are all my sessions. So, so it's really all about this sort of continuous uh, joint journey and self-exploration as you go through, uh, through the whole uh, content. I love that. Okay, so just to make sure everybody is understanding this accordion chart process, which I think is super, super impactful and helpful for all of our listeners, let's take a real life example. Let's take a pizza shop. Walk us through how you would take them through this accordion chart process. What are the questions that they would ask themselves or the things they would need to consider? Yeah, that's that's great. And by the way, uh, the accordion chart is the only actual framework tool that has its own chapter in my book, right? So it's, as I said, it's the most mind expanding and it's the one that therefore that I thought was important to actually talk about and, 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 and walk through. But uh, the, the basic idea, let's take a, a pizza shop, uh, is to first ask the question, what is the most narrow definition of your business? And you may say, well, we are a local or regionally branded pizza uh, restaurant chain. Okay, uh, who are the players in that space? Uh, how big is your market share? How fast is it growing? Right, and most companies would know that right away because that's their focus, the, the 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 narrow space that they play. Then comes the disarming question: What is one larger definition of your space? And that may be, well, not just locally branded uh, fast food pizza, but 
all branded fast food pizza, right? So that's not just regional, but national. So now you're Pizza Hut, Hungry Howie, everybody else comes in. What is your market share in that space? And who are the key competitors? And immediately, you might have been the major player in the, in the locally branded space, but now you're just a minor player in a larger space. And then we keep going. What is one larger definition? And you might say, well, just uh, branded fast food. So it's no longer just about pizza. Now you can have chicken, uh, uh, healthy choices, burger, every, everything else. Then the question is, what is beyond that? And now you say, well, anything that you eat out of the house, okay? So every, with every uh, new level, we get further and further away from your core business. So your comfort level goes down in terms of your knowledge, but your, but your strategic insight increase exponentially. And, and we keep pushing this one level up to get at least to six levels. And ultimately that six level could be not just informal eating out, but entertainment destination, right? Because food is ultimately, or a pizza place, you can argue is not just about food, but having fun. And now you see that entire map from most narrow to most broad and every type of company that you possibly could be competing against or could borrow some of their best attributes to put into your business. So it becomes this incredibly powerful one-page visual exploration of strategic possibilities across this, this large space that you or most, most people have never even kind of considered. And that is what you call the blue ocean market, correct? Right. The, the further you go to, to the, uh, the broader extreme, the bluer it is or bigger the blue. So, so I call the start, the, the narrow part, that's where you might find blue lakes, right? Just optimizing what you're doing. As you start expanding, you're getting into, uh, into broader space. The next up is blue sea, right? Because now you're expanding what you're doing. And then the further you get to the other end, that's when you get into the blue ocean. That's right. Amazing. Okay, so this brings us to the fifth and last prong of your framework, the Slingshot framework, which is blue ocean strategy. So you already told us about the three levels of blue waters. Uh, something I want you to expand upon is a concept of red ocean. So that's the antithesis of blue ocean. Yeah, so, so red ocean is exactly as you said. So red ocean is that space which you don't want to be in right? Which is about uh, price-based commodity-like competition, where everybody accepts the same boundaries, the same definitions of customers or market space of products, and you're just trying to outcompete one another. A wonderful example is that there is a town in England where there was a one pound store, right? Like in the US, we have the dollar stores, right? So everything in that store was one English pound. And, and it was uh, in the center of this town. One day across the street, a new store opened up. And th the name of that store was 99p, 99 pence. So same as a 99 cent store in the US. So one cent, one penny less. Within three months, the one pound store went out of business, right? <laughs> because everybody went across the street and there was no other factor of competition, pure price. And that's the, the definition of a red ocean where there is really no differentiation and it's a very dangerous space to be in for the reason that this uh, little uh, story or example just demonstrated. 
This was such an amazing conversation. I always end my interviews with the same two questions and then we do some fun stuff at the end of the year with them. So the first one is, what is one actionable thing my young and profiters can do today to be more profitable tomorrow? The thing that I would say is that to realize that this is a really singular moment in time, right? Where the entire world as we knew it two years ago no longer exists. So all of us have that choice to take and seize the power that we have to be one of the future shapers or to wait for others to do it for us. And as Paul Romer, who's a Nobel Prize winning economist said, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. So what I would encourage all, all your fans and listeners is to seize the moment and don't waste this crisis. Put yourself in position to be one of the future shapers. Mm, I love that. And what is your secret to profiting in life? And so this can be profiting financially, professionally, personally. Yeah. And I mean, to me, it's the answer is easy, right? Continuously reimagining boundaries. Because I think, you know, that's that's at core my, my, my mantra. And, uh, and I think that that does empower and enable us to do all those things, to make the most impact, to live the most uh, meaningful and, and enriched life, as well as to be uh, financially successful. So reimagining boundaries. I love that. What a great conversation. I think this is going to be super helpful to everybody who tuned in. Where can everyone learn more about you and everything that you do? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I will, uh, uh, as I said, make my book available. So I will provide a, a link to, to its download and, and, a, and, a, and, and preferential ways to, to do that. But uh, my website is the, is the best uh, way to, to reach me. Uh, I do have a rather unpurposely low uh, profile on, on social media, but my website and on LinkedIn, you can find me. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I love this conversation and I hope we get to collaborate again soon. How about me too? This was wonderful. I, I love your questions, your energy and, and everything that you do. So this was great. What a great conversation. As an entrepreneur myself, I'm always looking to come up with innovative, creative ways to set my business apart. And so I'm feeling very inspired and energized after this conversation. Before we get into the takeaways, I did want to let you know that Gabor is giving the app community access to his book Slingshot with a 20% discount. You just have to use the code special to get it. You guys can find the link in my show notes. So definitely take advantage of it. I loved his book. It's filled with great examples. It's really in-depth. And so so if you enjoyed this session, I'd go ahead and get that book. I don't think it's publicly available as far as I know. And so if you want to get that book, the link is in the show notes. You can get a 20% discount with code special. And he's not sponsoring me or anything. I'm just providing you guys with this resource. Okay. So we talked about the five prongs of the slingshot strategy, infatuation interval, lifestyle enrichment, defying conventional wisdom, accordion chart, and creating blue oceans. I'm not going to recap each one because if you guys want to hear each one of those, just go ahead and rewind the episode because he summarized it so well. I don't really have anything to add, but I did want to call attention to some ideas that can help you get started on your path to creating your own blue ocean strategy. One of the most important things to remember is that past innovations do not equal future success. Being a successful business owner and entrepreneur means you have to constantly pivot and adapt. Consumers are never satisfied over the long term, but they're temporarily infatuated. Instead of viewing this human trait as negative, just get used to it. See it as an opportunity and keep re-engaging your customers by improving your offerings and thinking of ways to re-engage them and keep them in that infatuation stage. Remember that infatuation comes in cycles. Timing is everything. Introduce innovations at the right time to make sure you're driving the market 
and not the other way around. If you're struggling to come up with creative solutions, Gabber believes that you should tune into your childhood imagination. Kids are always questioning the way that things are done and believe that almost anything is possible. So the next time you're feeling stuck, try to go back to what it was like when you were a child, that sense of wonder. And also make sure you look towards value innovation. Value innovation is that sweet spot between differentiation and low cost. That is where the magic happens. So to do that, you've got to rethink the market and discover unmet needs. Stop competing for the same market share as your competition and start providing high value at low cost. If you want to be truly successful in business with a really easier time in terms of sales and growth, you don't want to be in a red ocean where there's no true differentiation between you and your competitors. Then it just becomes a fight for the lowest cost. And that is not fun at all. The goal is for you to be in a different ocean altogether, where you're the only provider of your offering at the cost that you provide it. Then your competition becomes irrelevant and possibilities become endless. This means you've got to use your imagination and creativity to do something something that has not yet been done. All right, guys. So I don't know about you, but I loved this conversation. I felt like I learned so much. There were so many great ideas in this conversation. So if you want to keep talking about it, I'm happy to nerd out. You guys can reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram at Yap with Hala or find me on LinkedIn by searching Hala Taha. Also, Yap fam, you can text me now, 28046. Just text Yap to 28046. I check my messages every day and you can ask me anything. We're actually going to be putting out these new episodes where all the questions that I get on text, we're going to turn into an episode. So you'll be shouted out on Young and Profiting Podcast. And you can ask me questions about any single episode that you listen to. And what I'll do is I'll answer it myself, but I'll also reach out to the guest and get their answer. It should be really, really fun. So go ahead and text me 28046. And I will definitely make sure that we answer any questions that you guys have. Text YAP to 28046. Okay. So as a reminder, that book link is in the show notes. You can get 20% off with code special. Again, I'm not getting sponsored. I just want to provide that resource. And if you guys loved hearing Gabber and you enjoyed this conversation and you learned something, take a moment and thank us. The number one way to thank us is by dropping us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. As always, thanks for listening. And this is your host, Halataha, signing off.